0: For decades, television has been the gold standard for gaining and maintaining the attention of an audience. With the increase of a number of digital streaming platforms and the continual drop in TV's viewer base, however, a new era is here in which it's never been a better time to be an independent creator. We're going to talk about all this and more on The Rightly Show. It's the program that helps you start and grow a brand-centric online business through the fusion of form and function. This is The Rightly Show. Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Thomas McGee and this is The Rightly Show. As always, if you ever have a question for the program in regards to a business that you're currently running, or in one that you want to start, or if you just have a question or a comment in general, as always, feel free to head on over to rightly.show slash question, or you can call in at 844-rightly and record a question there as well. So today we're going to be talking about what it means to be building a platform or some sort of audience in today's digital age, in particular, some of the changes that we've been seeing on the media landscape over the course of the last decade or so. It's been pretty amazing to watch because when I was a kid, it was pretty normal to kind of sit down in front of the TV. That was just something that you did and that is where all of the media was. Flash forward to today and that's just no longer the case. Everything is changing. The way that we consume our media is changing and evolving every single day to the point where I think And this is not really based off anything, but just kind of a hunch in terms of the way that we've seen things moving within the last decade. I think in the next decade, I think 10 10 years from now, we'll cease to see television as a platform, cable TV as a platform will cease to exist. Maybe it'll be a little, little bit longer, maybe even sooner. I don't know. But I don't think that it is something that's going to be around for much longer. I think the same thing also goes for radio. It used to be that radio obviously now isn't gone. It's still here. However, a lot of the audience that used to pretty much completely uh, belong to radio as a platform has now migrated over to television. Again, some people, people still listen to the radio, but more people listen to podcasts. And I think in the same way, some people still watch television. But an increasing and growing number of people are using something like YouTube or Netflix or something in that realm. So I read a couple of studies and articles recently kind of on this subject, and I found found them pretty interesting, so I figured I'd share them with you. Uh, but before we actually get to them, if you'd like to check them out each individually, the articles I'll be talking about here shortly, uh, you can go over to rightly.show slash 91, and that's going to be the show notes for this episode, and it's going to have links to these various articles. So the first one that caught my eye was pretty amazing. And it found that after it was studying 2,000 different uh, British adults, actually, the average adult uh, will be spending 34 years of their life staring at screens, which is pretty amazing. It says a poll of 2,000 British adults commissioned by Vision Direct – found that the typical person will spend a staggering 34 years looking at phones, computers, and televisions. During the typical adult lifespan from ages 18 to 81, researchers say a person will be glued to their screens for over 13 hours a day. That adds up to 4,866 hours each year and a stunning 301,733 hours throughout those 62 adult years. Those figures have seen a big spike during the coronavirus pandemic, with the poll finding that the video calls have doubled since the quarantine. There's a quote in here that says, we're lucky to have devices that connect us with the world, with the outside world, says Benjamin Dumain of Vision Direct in a statement. A similar pandemic taking place 30 or 40 years ago would have seen people coping with lack of contact in very different ways. So Obviously, that's kind of a, an issue that's prevalent to right now. But I think in general, we've been seeing this uh, this rise of consumption of media. And I think it also correlates some to some degree with how much media there is, because I think if you were to flash back to like the 50s, where there are four or five major uh, networks, and those are the only places through which you could consume media, period. Uh, I think that there's a lot less to consume and so therefore a lot less consumption happening. I think today, if you flash forward, you couldn't possibly fill the span of a lifetime with all the media that exists. That's not even to get into the realm we've got Netflix, Hulu, things like that. You also do still have cable news. But on top of that, you have a platform like YouTube that has millions of videos being added every single year. Uh, And then on top of that, the amount of watch time that's being added as well And you kind of start to see that the amount of media and how much it has increased is pretty amazing. So there was another study which was also pretty interesting, and this one kind of goes more to a pay or traditional pay television. This is an article from Variety, and it says that traditional pay TV operators lost a record 6 million subscribers in 2019. The article says, the U.S. satellite and and cable TV business declined at an unprecedented rate last year, with traditional uh, pay TV providers dropping a staggering 6 million customers, a 7% year-over-year decline. In the fourth quarter of 2019 alone, traditional TV distributors lost around 1.5 million subs, dropping to about 83 million total at the year's end. According to estimates from Wall Street analysis firm, Uh, Moffat Nathanson, the primary loser uh, in quarter four was AT&T, which shed a whopping 1.16 million TV accounts in the period. Um, And anyways, it kind of goes on from there. The point of this is that it has been a massive decline in any realm of paid television. And we've continued to see that. Uh, The article goes on the numbers show that the cable and satellite TV customers whose main complaint continues to be steadily increasing prices of pay television service are increasingly increasingly satisfying their home entertainment diets with, as you guessed it, streaming packages like those from Netflix, Hulu, and others. The trend reflects the growing normalization of of pay TV declines, according to the analysis, which operators no longer looking to offer discounts. To keep would-be cord cutters in the fold, and some smaller cable companies exiting TV completely. So again, it kind of goes along with that main point, which is that again we're seeing a lot less people in cable TV and a lot more people who are switching to something like uh, something like Hulu or something like Netflix. Kind of along with that, as well as a pretty interesting. Uh, not to go through too many stats with you, but something else that was pretty fascinating was, uh, as of 2020. So this article came out in February, uh, February 4th, 2020. This is a, a separate article. It shows that now by a pretty handy hand, pretty handedly, we actually see that YouTube now as an advertising network is thoroughly beating NBC, CBS, Fox as networks. YouTube, uh, as of I think this was all the way from 2018, was making 15 billion dollars annually in their uh, in their ad revenue. Second place was NBC with seven billion, third place CBS with 6 billion, and then fourth place was Fox with 5 billion. So by a pretty wide margin, even just if we were to look at this from purely an advertising perspective, and I'm not really a huge fan of TV or even YouTube advertising in general um, from a user perspective, although there's a place for it, um, it's a pretty massive margin there. And so what this tells me, at least again, to a varying degree, is that more people are switching away from uh, from your traditional TV outlets. And so the question is, okay, so what does this mean for you? So what we're going to be talking about in this episode, beyond what we've already kind of touched on is some of the things that we can do as independent creators. But also, just for fun, I'm going to be exploring what would I do if I ran one of these major networks. And hopefully you can kind of pull from some of these things as well as you start to create and build your own audience. Because at the end of the day, that's the good news, right? The good news for you as an independent creator is is that you can create your own YouTube channel, your own podcast, and that you can start to shine immediately. You don't need the permission any longer of corporate executives who run one of these major TV networks. In fact, not only do you not need that anymore, you have an advantage by not being in that boat. Because as we're gonna be talking about here uh, a little bit more in this episode, I kind of see that as that sinking ship. The place to be is a small creator, is somebody who has a small audience because that's just where everything is. With more content out there in the world today, it's not possible to be one of those uh, major networks and have 50% of the share of the marketplace of attention. That just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, However, what does exist is what some have referred to as the long tail, where you can have a small, uh, what Seth Godin talks about as the smallest viable audience. And so that's never been more possible. That's never been more easy, in fact, with all the technology that we have at our disposal today, which is actually why I'd like to tell you about something new I've created over at Rightly and Company. So pretty much every week, and it is every week, it's multiple times a week, I get asked questions either via email or over on my YouTube channel. Questions like, what type of lighting are you using? Or what type of camera is that? Or what type of lens is that? Or how did you make that shot look that way? Or how are you live streaming with that quality of a camera? And so, in short, it's been a lot of people who, particularly even in the quarantine time where we've got more people staying at home, people are seeing the value in creating video. They're starting to understand that video is a pretty powerful platform. I know we're on audio right now, and and audio still definitely has its place in the world. But what many people are seeing is that whether it's going to be live uh, broadcasting or whether they're going to be creating their own course or they're going to be creating their own YouTube channel, starting to see that, as we talked about, with cable television starting to die out, more people are starting to pick up on that, hey, if I get a pretty decent recording setup, if I get a, a fancier camera, if I can get my quality content down, then I can really start to build that audience. Most people, however, that I talk to, when they start to consider the concept of video is they say, you know what? That sounds great. I've even got an idea for my show and how I'm going to put it all together. But I have no clue how to get started on the gear. I don't want to spend thousands of dollars on camera equipment only to to figure out later on that I got the wrong kind. So I personally have done this throughout the years. I've bought a lot of camera equipment and have whittled it down to what really works. So what I've decided to create is something I'm calling the rightly video studio masterclass. And the masterclass is a comprehensive course that teaches you from beginning to end how to create better videos, how to get your lighting right, what type of camera to get, how to create a set that you can use over and over again, just with the things within your own house, within your own office. So I answer all the questions that I've been getting throughout the years of how to create stunning high quality videos that anybody can implement. This is very much a course For beginners, this isn't for somebody who's looking to become a videographer or looking to go pro, but I do have a lot of marketing and and strategy built into this as well that you can use to implement in order to help grow your platform as well as your channel if you're trying to do something on YouTube. But at the end of the day, it shows you the fundamentals of how to get up and running with higher quality video because we've seen even some late night hosts of major networks who have been recording with their phone and with some AirPods And these are professional hosts and even their videos don't look as good as what you can do from your own house. And that quality in video makes a huge difference. So if you like all your video questions answered, head on over to Rightly. Studio. That's where this masterclass is going to be available for you. Again, I packed everything I know into one masterclass, and I am so excited to see the videos that people are going to be making as a result of it. So again, head on over to Rightly.studio if you'd like to check it out. Again, that's Rightly.studio. Have a question for the program? Call 844-RIGHTLY to record your question, and we would be happy to consider featuring it in a future episode. That's 844-744-4859 or 844-RIGHTLY. If you would rather write in, feel free to email show at rightlydesigned.com. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to take some time to talk about today was what would I do? And I've been thinking about this recently because I see this... As a number of major TV networks are starting to dwindle in terms of their viewership, and this is happening, uh, this has been happening for the last several years and continually, by the way, this isn't a new phenomenon uh, that's relevant just to, you know, the quarantine time, it's been happening for the last five, six, maybe up to 10 years, we've been seeing a decline in cable ratings. And so what I wanted to talk about was what if this, if we're going to talk specifically about a news network, because I think that helps to kind of segment it off a little bit, although you could do, we could just say an entire network. And I'm not going to say which network, because whatever, some networks are going to be more political in one direction or another. That's not really the point of this. The point is really just to take a look at from a corporate perspective, what you could do, and how we could kind of reverse engineer this the opposite direction as we're trying to build our platforms. So here's what I would do first. And this would seem insane. If I were to walk into a corporate boardroom and I were to suggest this, they would look at me like I'm insane. But if I were one of these major networks, what I would say is that within the, within the span of the next year or two years, I would preferably within the next year, we would start this process tomorrow. We would be removing this network from cable television. And everybody in the boardroom would look at you like you're insane. Like, are you kidding me? sure cable is declining but we still make millions if not billions of dollars a year in ad revenue why would we do that and say because we're starting a new direction we're we're moving the ship before it reaches the end of the waterfall so to speak right we're we're jumping ship i guess for it even kind of blend this analogy even more but the whole idea here is As I I said before, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that within the next decade or somewhere around there, we're going to stop seeing cable television. And if your company, if your business is still dependent upon the cable platform in order to exist, it will already be too late for you to jump ship once that time comes. So if you start now, you're going to have a number of different things that will work to your advantage. So the first thing I would do is I would sell it to another network. If that's even possible again, from a legal perspective, I have no clue how this would all work and how uh, a deal would be reached. Of course, what I'm talking about here is like multi-billion-dollar sale. Uh, but yeah, I would I would sell it off to one of the networks to somebody else. I would say here you can have this this channel or this space, however that works on TV or satellite. I don't want this anymore. Uh, however, I wouldn't do that immediately. I would actually do that gradually. So I would keep the. I would keep the actual platform, but I would use the platform and the audience that I had to start building the online platform. So the first thing I would do is for one of these major networks, I would create something similar to, to Hulu or to Netflix, and be completely web based. And it would be a subscription service, just like one of those subscription services would be. However, to begin with, to start with, it would be 100% free. And so it would be just like watching c- cable television, right? Because what you're paying for, for cable television, you're not, it's not being monetized uh, by anything other really than advertising. Now, they might have contracts with specific uh, cable packages or whatever. So that somebody buys, you know, this cable package, they get a cut, licensing agreements, all of that. But instead, I would say, if you'd like to go and watch the same content, head on over to our website, migratenetwork.com whatever it would be. And then you would be able to sign up for free in order to continue watching on the go. So what you're going to do is throughout the course of a year, you're going to start to transition people away from watching cable television. Will people continue to watch cable? Sure. You're still going to have people on there. That's not going to change because there's some people who are just going to continue to do what's comfortable and what they're used to. However, I'm going to imagine that you're going to start to see a, a a ratings decrease on your channel for the amount of people uh who are watching via television. They're going or via cable, I should say. Television's the wrong word, because you could still watch this via television. It would just be internet television. So you'd be watching it just like you can watch Netflix on your TV in the same way you'd be able to watch this particular network on this uh, on your TV. It'd be the same thing. It's just you're not watching cable is the delineating factor. But again, it would be a transition to the point where once you reach the end of that year, you'd say, okay, we're fully transitioning over. Uh, If you'd like to continue watching our network, then you can watch it here, sign up for free. Then what I would do is I would offer eh, probably about 50% of the content that we created on that network. So shows, news, eh, you'd this would just be kind of an estimate what I would do is I do about 50 of 50% of the content would be available for free on YouTube. The goal here again, would be to continue to spread awareness, uh, obviously, you want that YouTube channel to grow. you don't want to be dependent upon YouTube. However, you do want to leverage YouTube in order to build the number of people signing up. Now the whole idea was starting out with a sign up for free model, which is nothing like what YouTube uh, which is nothing like what uh, Netflix does. You pay for for Netflix, right? But what you're doing this whole time is you're building that customer list. you're building that email list uh, to the point where eventually, you're going to offer your monthly paid service. And however, that monthly paid service will only be to unlock specific content, all right? So there'll be certain shows uh, that you get access, you'd be be an all access member or something like that. And you get access to all the shows, you get access to all the content if you become a premium subscriber. However, you can continue to give away 70% of your content for free. So this is something that Netflix and Hulu and these other places at least as far as I know they don't do this, right? They give you a 30-day free trial. Netflix is pretty good about this, but some other companies aren't that great. Well, though, they'll, they'll get you on that 30-day free trial. You got to enter in your credit card information and then you forget and then you get charged and then you don't want it anymore and then you got to be in, you know, you got to send back and forth 27 different emails before they finally cancel the account and it's annoying and it's terrible, right? Whereas with this, You would, a lot of your members or a lot of the people watching content would be watching for free. And that's totally fine. Um, The great news is that for those 70%, if you wanted to, you could work in some sort of advertising. I don't like advertising. I don't think that it's the best way to monetize a platform, but for those freemium uh, subscribers, so to speak, what you could do is you could have them uh, be able to, to view all the content for free. And then you could have a paid service where then people get access to everything and then they don't have to view the ads. Again, I don't really like the ads to begin with. I think it would be better, but from a monetary perspective, that would make sense. Okay, so what are, what's the advantage here? See, when it comes to cable TV, you don't really own that space. Even as a, a giant corporation, you don't really own that space. And see, what's kind of cool about what I'm talking about right now isn't something that you would have to be a giant corporation to do. Anybody could do something like this on a much smaller scale. But if a giant corporation or if one of these uh, network shows decided to do this, they could quickly become one of the biggest platforms out there, particularly from a network perspective. It would be essentially taking the, the Netflix model and applying it to a television network, which Netflix isn't, you don't watch your news on Netflix, you don't really watch your sports on Netflix, right? Whereas a cable show or channel, you would. Um, so that sort of thing. So if you could take that model to a digital platform, you'd be leagues ahead of everybody else out there. So again, kind of to recap what I would do, 50% of the content approximately would be free on YouTube. It would point to the free sign up that people could get, uh, to access about 70% of the content for free on the platform. Again, why would you offer it for free? You get it for free because again, we're building that list. Uh, we're building uh, engagement and attention to the point where eventually, the hope is that maybe it takes a full year of consuming all your free content, but eventually they become a paid subscriber because they click on a show, all their friends are watching this show. I can't watch it for free. It's not one of the, the free shows on this particular platform. So they're gonna sign up for the subscription. And it could be like $10 a month or whatever, something comparable to Netflix. But again, it would be huge. I, I like that way better than trying to get away with the 30-day free trial. I don't think the 30-day free trial, while it works, I'm sure that's why Netflix does it, I just think that uh, you're going to have a much better user experience when it comes to people who don't have to worry about canceling. You're going to dramatically decrease your refund request as well, which is going to be nicer from a logistical aspect of running the business. And on that note, and this is a total aside, I could probably dedicate a whole episode to this, but from a web developer perspective, Netflix has one of the worst user experiences I have ever encountered. It's okay on mobile and tablets and even to some degree on a television, but on a desktop computer, it is it is literally one of the worst websites. I, it's actually difficult for me just to scroll down the page. And the reason is because and this is the thing that all bad user experiences have in common, they try to force you to do what you don't want to do. So as you're scrolling down the page, and again, most people probably use Netflix on their phones, tablets, or TVs, at which point it totally makes sense. I'm a desktop user. I use my desktop for just about everything. In fact, I have a a TV that serves as a monitor connected to my Mac that I use. For watching most things that I'm going to watch. So again, I'm kind of a weird use case. But from a web development standpoint, I'm sitting there and I'm scrolling down this page, I should do a video on this just to show you. But I'm scrolling down the page. And it's reaching the point where I I can't get down the page. Because every time you hover over a video, it expands, it gets massive, and it starts auto auto playing audio. And then if you just want to get to another you want to get further down in the section, if you're like looking at a section of what's the latest, you have to like, move your cursor all the way over to the right. And it's so thin that sometimes you hit the scroll bar and you actually click the scroll bar and it scrolls you down the page. And then you have to hover and then it starts scrolling from right to left. It's just so bad. Like I don't think I could actually invent a user experience worse than that. So it's really not that complicated. That's part of the problem is they're trying to make the the user experience fancy and interactive, like at the top, immediately when you log in that whatever show they want you to watch is auto playing, and it's takes up half the page. Sometimes it's got audio, sometimes it doesn't, it's just terrible. So I don't know if this is just me, let me know if you've kind of come across the same thing. But again, a good user experience makes it easy for somebody to do what they want to do with the site. It doesn't try to force people, it doesn't have pop ups. The the net for the current Netflix desktop user experience is akin to the flashing gif websites of the 90s, in my personal opinion. So I don't know what they've got going on over there. It works fine on the phone, it works fine on the tablet, even the television is alright. But for whatever reason, It is like an obstacle course on the desktop platform. So that was a total ADD moment, a total aside, but that's one thing I would not do for this network is make it anything like Netflix because I've seen a number of the other streaming platforms out there kind of trying to copy Netflix. And I think that the first platform that doesn't copy Netflix's user experience is probably the first one I'm actually going to stick with and subscribe to. Okay, so that total aside out of the way. One of the things I would also do with this platform, particularly if we were migrating from a major cable news network, is that I would do a hybrid. You would be able to watch all the shows on demand, sure. However, I would also have a 24-hour live stream. So just like you would have on the network, you would have 24-hour live stream. So if there was a news break or if there's something like that, you could always show it on that 24-hour live stream. That's the thing you could also have inside of doctors' offices and dentists and Um, you know, airports, you know, they always had the TV on on a specific uh, channel. Well, I would want people to still be able to do that. Uh, I would just want it to be an online platform, which actually would be a little bit easier to do that doctor's office or that dentist office wouldn't even have to have a a cable subscription, they'd be able to have a much cheaper subscription to whatever uh, platform you were offering. And then that 24 hour live stream could also be free as well. um, So people could always watch it. And then um, all the on-demand content would also be there as well. So if you wanted to pop in there and watch three episodes of your favorite show, you could do that just as you would on Netflix. You could watch it live when it first premieres, or you could watch it on demand. And then again, some of those shows, all the shows would be available live. However, only certain shows would be available uh, via uh, on demand. So once again, like I said, probably about like 30% of the shows would be available on de- on demand only if you paid a subscription service. The other thing that I would do, and this is this is key, uh, this is something that I don't see happening. Uh, particularly, this is how you could kind of bridge the gap between a major network and something like YouTube is I would find and I would recruit hosts or popular YouTubers, people who have made a giant platform on YouTube. I would go and find those personalities and I would help them uh, sign maybe a licensing agreement or something to have their content, some of their content exclusively available on my streaming platform. So they could still do the YouTube channel and everything else. But again, that would be a, a way that you're pulling that audience into your streaming platform and it would make a huge difference. The other thing I would probably do as well, and I think this would be, and this is why it would be so important as a major network to do this first, is because all the other networks would look at you like you're insane, right? They would say, well, you still get millions of viewers. Why are you just casting those all to the side? Well, the problem is, again, once once people start to jump ship, and once they start seeing that we really are at the end of the road with cable, then for all those other uh, you know, national networks that didn't do the same thing you did at the time, they just scoffed at you and said, well, you're insane for doing this. Then what they would, of course, need to do at that point is create their own streaming platform. Only by that point, it's too late. You've already established so much market reach in that particular sphere that you're the only one to come to. So what could they do? Either A, they start their own streaming platform, at which point they're at a severe disadvantage because they have to start retracing the ground that you've been tracing for years. Or you could offer them a licensing agreement, at which point they can create and offer uh, content on your platform, to which then, of course, you would get a cut and you would be able to grow that platform even bigger. So again, that's what I would do if I were one of these major networks. I know it sounds, it would probably sound insane and stupid to one of these maybe corporate executives, but, and again, with limited knowledge of how the industry works in terms of the inner workings of how a corporate structure would work, I think that would be huge. I think if somebody did this, the first person or first major network to do this would probably be uh, more apt or more prepared to survive when cable eventually does see its its eventual end, which this actually does remind me of there is actually a a story similar, this isn't without precedent, right? So this is something that has actually happened before. So some of you may familiar be familiar with the with the brand Blockbuster, I know I was as a kid, that's where you go and you got all your VHS rentals, right? So somebody, uh, so there was a core, I don't know all the specific details to this, I need to find the article that kind of outlined this. But early on, when Netflix was starting to see its rise in growth and popularity, particularly when they first offered DVDs, they would mail DVDs for you to you. I don't know if you remember that. Um, They eventually did DVDs, and then they eventually transitioned into what we know now as a streaming platform. But early on, Blockbuster just kind of thumb their nose up at the idea of a streaming platform or even of a mail-in DVD platform they said that you know of course uh, people came to them uh, and they they posed the problem which is that more and more people are going to start streaming content on t- online and so one of the big hurdles or what many people had an objection to in terms of starting to migrate blockbuster in that direction was that well but that to, that absolutely cancels out a massive portion of our revenue every year. What is a massive chunk of our ad or what is a massive chunk of our revenue every year? And the answer was late fees. Every single year, Blockbuster was making millions of dollars in late fees. It was a huge part of their business. And so nobody could really wrap their head around the the thought of, why on earth would we start offering this online? we would have we would immediately cut off all of that revenue, all the revenue we're getting every single year as a result of uh as a result of late fees would be gone in the same way network television executives are saying, "Why on earth would I cut free from this network? We receive millions of dollars in ad revenue every year. Why would I just delete that? Why would I just remove that right? again, exact same uh, conversation, exact same mentality that Blockbuster had, we're not just going to, but what you don't understand is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you make millions of dollars in late fees, because this concept is going to continue with or without you. And so in the same way, it's one of those things where everything is constantly changing. And that is why it's such a great time to be a small independent creator. Because you're not steering a gigantic ship, right? Because if you are, it's super hard to turn and to make changes and to innovate. Whereas if you are running something yourself, now has never been a better time to do that. And so with that, now comes the question for you. What is it that you are going to create? You've got a lot of different options out there. And so I know I've talked about this a lot of time in the a lot of times in the past, but that's when you get to start to consider what is it that you're going to create? Who are you going to create it for and what medium are you going to choose? So are you going to write? Are you going to do video? Are you going to do audio? I personally really like audio and video. I like them for two different things, but I like them. Video I like to do as some sort of explainer or tutorial or training or concept that, I, that gets conveyed better visually. Audio I like to use for ideas, things that I like to expound upon and take more time to talk about, things that's a little bit too long for a video and really, well, as you'd imagine, fits audio better. So those are the things you you want to keep in mind. What are the types of content that you're creating? Then the second thing to consider, where? Where is it that you're going to publish this? Is this going to be a YouTube channel? Is it going to be a podcast? Is it going to be a website? Is it going to be a membership site? Because again, if we kind of rewind back to what I was talking about from the perspective of what I would do if I currently were running one of these giant networks, the funny thing is I would take that same concept, that same strategy, and I would apply it to a small business or even an independent creator, right? Because this is something that is possible. The difference is that you don't have the same amount of resources as somebody who is just starting out or starting their own YouTube channel, but you do have the same potential reach. And that's what's so amazing. Uh, so again, you could do one of these things, you could do a whole host of these things. It just kind of depends upon how good far you want to take your content creation. And by the way, content creation is no longer optional. I've said this before. It's one of those things where whatever type of business that you run, creating some sort of useful content is pretty much something that you can't bypass anymore. Anymore, it's not about so much the thing that you create as the media company that you're building alongside it, right? I've heard many people talk about this in the past, but you don't want to be the ad on YouTube anymore, right? You want to be the YouTube video, you don't want to be the commercial, you want to be the show. And so that is why now with network television continuing to decline, that the opportunity for you has never been better. Now, the question, however, is that sure, you can just go out there and start creating content, it is possible. But the problem is that Everybody is, or a lot of people are. So I don't agree with what a lot of people in the marketing sphere like to say, which is that you got a smartphone in your pocket and just start creating. It's just not true because there is a sea, a flood, an ocean of mediocre content. So instead what you have to do, yes, you want to start creating, but you want to create something that is of the highest quality, usefulness, relevancy, and potentially entertainment value as well. So that is what really makes it or breaks it. That's the, the great news is so there's kind of a good news and a bad news to the way that the media landscape is changing. The good news, anybody can do it. The bad news, anybody can do it. So if you create something, it has to be something that is unique, that is for a specific audience, that is very niche in its nature, and is of high quality. And by the way, by quality, I don't mean that you have to have the best recording quality. I think that helps. I think that's important. But I think even more important is that it's valuable to the people who are consuming it. So that's what makes all the difference. So for example, I have a very small YouTube channel over at rightly.tv. It's been growing gradually over the course of the last year. I think it's been about a year since I started it. But I've got a video right now, which far exceeds all the views that I typically get on a YouTube channel, I think as of now it has 238,000 views, so almost a quarter of a million views. And it's all about how to use a DSLR camera as a webcam. It's something way different than what I usually create. But it's not a video that I set out and I said, you know what, I want to try to hack YouTube's algorithm with this video, which I see so many marketers trying to do. They post video video after video with all these different thumbnails and all these different orientations and all these different tricks that they're trying to work in with certain lengths and this and that and at the end of the day it's whatever is going to be useful or relevant to the people you want to serve that makes all the difference and the great news is that the opportunity is there for anyone to do it and no longer do you need a corporate brand to do so so that's it that's what i wanted to talk to uh, talk with you about today as always if you have a question for the program head on over to rightly.show slash question you can also call in with your question at eight four four rightly and if you're finding the rightly show useful i always do appreciate it if you head on over to apple podcasts and leave us a review you can do that at apple or i should say sorry rightly.show slash apple again that's rightly.show slash apple until next time go out there and create a brand that is truly remarkable thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the program If you found it useful, please take a quick moment to leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher or the medium of your choosing.